the state of Tennessee is one of the few places where the sounds are just as breathtaking as the sights. Whether that's live music at an historic music venue, the crack of an open fire at a campsite in the wilderness, or hearing kids laugh as they explore what's right around the bend, Tennessee just sounds perfect. Start planning your trip at tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Ridiculous History is a production of iHeartRadio. Welcome back to the show, Ridiculous Historians. Thank you, as always, so much for tuning in. We hope this message finds you well. We hope this message finds you comfortable, especially in your undergarments. Uh, I'm Ben. That's our super producer, Max Williams, who I just met today. I know. Right? It's true. Uh, and, you know, and speaking of being comfortable, we're all comfortable, cozied up in a in a studio, mm-hmm. in person. In person. All three of us. Mm-hmm. And you know, I'm Noel, by the way. You're Noel, yeah. And and in a way, uh, we're accompanying not just with you, fellow Ridiculous Historians, but with our pals Josh and Chuck, because we have poached their studio. It is festooned with uh, fan art from the one and only Coop. Aaron Cooper. Right? Uh-huh. I know the guy. I know him well. He's a, he's a good dude and a master of photoshoppery. He is indeed. He is indeed. We, uh, you know, astute listeners may wonder why we said, well, hope, hope you're uh, comfortable, especially in your undergarments. Yeah, you're like, whoa, hey, <laughs> why are you getting all up in my in my little Australia? That's, right. your, that's your phrase. Uh, it's, that. uh, yeah, this is, it's weird because, you know, we, we talked about this in the past when we did an episode on bidets, which was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, we we decided to lean into this one, didn't we, Noel? We have been hanging out with the people at Fruit of the Loom. Mm-hmm. Lovely people. Lovely people. Lovely people. And they asked us a little bit about the history of underwear. You'd think they'd know about it, but they, right. they, they asked us to to help, help, you know, fill in some gaps for them, I think. Right. They, went, when they came to us to put the pieces together. And I don't know if they knew just how exciting these kind of topics are for us. Oh, God. I mean, the most exciting. Uh, it turns out that the history of undergarments goes back 
way further than I think either of us realized. So far back, man. And also, it's uh, it, the history of undergarments is kind of also a history of fashion, mm-hmm. a history of sexual liberation, oh, a God, history yeah. of sanitation. Max Williams plays a huge role in this. I had no idea, Max, how, you, how instrumental you were. In the, it's different throwing you under the bus in person. <laughs> it, it's a lot different getting thrown under the bus in person. Like Normally, I can just like turn my like camera off or just like be like, oh, I guys have to do something else. But I'm just sitting right here. You know I'm not doing anything else. We're, we're going to make, hey, Noel, what if we make some Max facts in, in the show? Oh, we have to. We have to. <laughs> and, and why and, am and, I getting the Jonathan Strickland treatment right now? No. Uh, no. Oh, it, it, I'll it, have to say it two more times and he'll show up, right? Yeah, please don't. He is actually here. He is he here. He is in the building. Uh, yeah, so keep your voices. Um, but no, there's not even a proper corner in this tiny studio for you to like get into a fetal position and cry in. And you know, that corner is something I think uh, all three of us came to take for granted, the Zoom corner, being able to turn off your camera. We are live and direct, so we have to we have to stay on our P's and Q's. We're all wearing clothing, and that's that's something I think that we take for granted, too, especially underwear. It's weird. You can't really talk to people about underwear. Like, if I said, like, Noel has all these great hats, and so I could walk up to Noel, and we know each other very well, and I could be like, oh, hey, man, that's a kick-ass hat. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially, like, we know each other well enough that I know a lot of your hats, so I can tell if there's a new one. But if I was like, hey, man, what kind of kind of undies are you wearing today? Well, it's funny. Undies have kind of come full circle in an interesting way because initially, uh, around 7,000 years ago, when the first evidence of undergarments uh, were uncovered or you know, from that era, it really was outerwear because it was the only wear, right? You uh, found evidence of prehistoric humans wearing what are referred to as loincloths, which is like a thin strip of fabric that you'd loop between your your legs and cover your naughty bits with and kind of, you know, uh, cinch around your waist. And it was, I don't know, what do you think, why they even, like, was there a built-in modesty already at that point? Or (laughs) was it just to protect their bits from, you know, being blanched by the sun? Or uh, what what do you think? Pretty fragile. So I think there's definitely, like, a safety imperative. Mm -hmm. Then, yeah, maybe that becomes modesty but you're right it's very much outerwear in the ancient days they were also leather too this was not you know this was not an aesthetic thing or a kink this is just what they had available at the time right and it's still a a primary form of dress for a lot of people a lot of indigenous people in warmer climates especially very true and something i didn't realize i've heard of the ice man apparently he cometh uh his name is otzi and he died in uh, a region known as the Tyrolean Alps in, in Tyrol, which I believe is uh, in, in Germany, in, in that would be modern-day Germany, around 5,000 years ago. And they uncovered his remains uh, and found him wearing a goatskin breech. Or a loincloth, right? Real clothes horse, the Iceman. Oh, but 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 he but because it was so cold, right? He he was uh he had overwear as well. It was not the same situation as with the prehistoric That's right. uh, humans. He uh, had furry kind of leggings on, and they found that underneath that he was wearing this goatskin loincloth. And didn't he have a cape of some sort, like a cloak? That I can neither confirm nor deny. Okay. All right. Well, let's stick to the facts then. Oh, uh, because his name was the Iceman? He has to have like a... <laughs> super, uh, yeah. uh, so this, like, he, at this point, uh, we can also see examples of underwear in other parts of the world. If we fast forward about a thousand and a half years, mm-hmm. then then we... Just a, a blip just in, a in the historical blip record. In the world of podcasting and the historical record. 
we see that Egypt also had underwear. They had a specific type of linen underwear called a shinti, S-H-E-N-T-I, which was kind of like a loincloth. Sort of like a brief. Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah. And this is interesting because if you were the pharaoh, you would, or you are a higher class person in that society, you would maybe wear a skirt over your shinti. But if you were just the, you know, average day-to-day worker, you would probably just be wearing the shinti. And there's there's a great article we want to shout out from The Independent, written by Susie Rushton, which goes over so much ancient history of pants. And pants as in the, the British pants, yes. which is uh, underwear. Yes, I mean, yes. Most, I'm sure everybody knows that who watches British comedies, but I always love that pants are underwear. And trousers are pants. And trousers are pants. Yeah, yeah. It's an important distinction, right? Fanny because also means something different. Totally different. Totally different. And this is a family show, so we're not going to tell you exactly what it is, but you might not want to Google it on your school computer. This is interesting in that we see multiple groups of people, not uh, often without having contact with one another, have been wearing loincloths. It just makes sense. It's the most elegant answer to the question how do I? hide and or protect my stuff. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then we see this evolution in detail throughout history. I think the, um, there's, there's a little bit of controversy or speculation with the ancient Greeks. There's the idea that loincloths were around in ancient Greece, but only enslaved people wore them. Interesting. And then the ancient Romans wore the least sexy name for an undergarment you're going to get in this whole show. I almost have a hard time pronouncing it, or at least I had to do a double tick when I first read the word. I believe, Ben, it is sublegaculum. Yes. Uh, Who came up with sub-legaculum. that? Sublegaculum. A Roman with a love of tongue twisters. I suppose so. And it's sort of a, an advanced loincloth, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, yeah. You got a little more upper thigh coverage. It's kind of, think of them like short shorts mm-hmm. or a loincloth with uh, some added bells and whistles, extra wrapping. And this was, uh, this was, I believe, something that could be worn by anybody, right? It wasn't just for dudes of the day or what have you. No, and uh, writing over on History Extra, Greg Jenner, who has a really cool website called Horrible Histories. Um, this is in league with the BBC. He also says that, uh, you know, this is worn by um, gladiators and actors, you know, and it was even worn by, there was a version of it for women that he referred to as a boob tube, but he put it in quotes. So I mean, he must have gotten it from somewhere. I don't think he made this up, but I love the idea of a, a boob tube and then, you know, adapting that term to refer to the television, which is, you know, not underwear related at all, but would play a large role in spreading the gospel of underwear, you know, through advertisement much later in the game. Yes. Yeah, exactly. That's that's a very good point. Another cycle or a full circle of history. And if we go to the 13th century, then we see the creation of loose, just pull on underpants. These were baggy, they went down to your calves, so they're, they're, you know what, they would look like capri pants mm-hmm. today. That's what you would think of. Yeah, and they were referred to as drawers, and I've always thought of that as being like, you know. Kind a, of southern. A, a, well, yeah, <laughs> but a drawer, like, you know, a thing you open up and uh, close and put things in. But it actually refers to the drawstrings, as in drawers, uh, you know, you're yes. drawing the drawstrings to cinch them around your waist, right? And that was, yeah, they were called braises, I believe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or, or braise. That's right. That's right. That's probably its own plural. It's like sheep. Yeah, yeah. 
a sheep and those sheep, mm -hmm. a braise and those braise. Also, I just love, you know, it's part of our show being based in the southeast of the United States, but we love a good southern accent. And I have had people in my family who do refer to underwear as draws. Draws. You draws. Really, they really draw it out, don't they? And then you sort of had a style on braise called chausses uh, that the upper class would wear. And they were a little more like leg warmers. Yeah. You know, they would just cover the uh, the thigh, up to the thigh, rather. Yeah, yeah, Iceman style, mm -hmm, right? Exactly. And then we know that we know that for many people in northern climes, these weren't just worn to protect yourself from, like, hazards of your environment. They were also worn to keep you warm, mm -hmm. right? And let's not forget, there were also, like, armored versions of these things that maybe were made of, like, chain mail or something, for example. And we're going to bounce around ever so slightly here and there. Um, mainly, it's going to be sort of a linear history of underwear, but we might double back a couple of times. Vikings and Celtics, uh, they also wore those braids, but they wore long socks. And that was because it was cold, like you said, Ben. So they wore those to keep them warm. Romans, however, did not wear socks. That's largely because of the warm temperature. We know that they wore uh, sandals with no socks because sandals with socks is obviously a total fashion faux pas. Uh, even though it's sort of coming back now, sandals with socks like sort of yeah. becoming cool again sort of like crocs i well, like outcast I'm, I'm firmly on board it's debatable as to whether crocs are cool or not but they are definitely making a big comeback max is not on board with this he's not on no, board this is a terrible look i don't wow. I, I don't sandals with it. socks or crocs both like wow. why what about why? crocs with socks yeah absolutely not in a box are you a are you a shoe supremacist max? no i am not a shoe supremacist but like, it's just like <laughs> this is clearly like something that's horribly wrong. You, unless you're working on a line in a kitchen, mm -hmm. you should not wear Crocs, period. Well, there, there are, there's all kinds of innovations in Crocs. Like you have little mm -hmm. bedazzly things that you stick in the holes in them. Sure. You've got kind of goth Crocs, which are, are black and have little spikes that come up out of the holes. It's a whole thing. The kids are mm -hmm. crazy about them. Yeah. Um, so, they became uncool enough to be cool again. It's like normcore. Exactly. It's, a, it's that level of irony where eventually it just becomes the thing. Like yeah. you do something ironically long enough, you're really just like it. Next you know? thing, pleated pants. 100%. <laughs> and Steely Dan. I mean, Steely Dan used to be dad rock, and now, like, all the new bands sound like Steely Dan. But the Romans looked down upon people who wore socks. In fact, they considered the Vikings and the Celtics to be barbarians. And they really thought that sock wearing was absolutely gauche. More so, even. It was like, oh, my God, these animals with their socks. They had some, they had some weird social mores or judgments that, that definitely didn't age well. But fun, fun etymological note about barbarism and being barbaric, uh, where that comes from is also itself kind of a petty insult or condescension. It just meant people who, like when, they, when Roman forces couldn't understand a native language, they called people barbarians because in their mind it was onomatopoeia because Everything people said that they didn't understand sounded like bar 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 mm -hmm. bar bar. Bermagerd, yeah, Berberism, yeah, yeah Berberism, mm -hmm, exactly. Uh, so we're at so we're at the Middle Ages. Humanity's we're there. Odd. there we are. There we are. Magic of magic of time travel, and during this time, there's something that a lot of people might be surprised to learn. Guys were still wearing linen shorts. They were still called braids, but women weren't actually wearing what we would consider underwear, right? Yeah, that's right. It was actually 
I'm speaking to the general zeitgeist of the time, which was very uh, patriarchal and uh, misogynistic. And women who wore underwear were seen as being somewhat low or base, not based, like the kids would say, which means super cool, but, um, you know, potentially promiscuous. Uh, It certainly wasn't seen as a sign of virtue, and virtue was king back then. Yeah, yeah, very uh, patriarchal. They did not... They yeah they were jerks they mm-hmm. were being jerks about it but the the only common underwear for uh, women before the 19th century at this point was something called a shift or a in France would be what a chemise a chemise, chemise. yeah. yeah. You know what it makes me think of, Ben? We both, I think, are big fans of the uh, David Eggers film, The Witch. The, oh, or yes. The Bubba Witch. Yeah, yeah. And this is a mild spoiler, I guess, but I'm not going to give the complete context. I'm just going to read the line. It's, remove thy shift. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was <laughs> Wouldst so thou like the taste of butter? And it's the taste of butter. It's yeah. not butter. I, I remember we had, uh, off air, when that film came out, we... We all went and hung out. Um, our good friend of the show, Lauren Vogelbaum, was there, and we talked for like oh, yeah. an hour yeah. and a half yeah. analyzing The Witch. Take I actually that, I saw it with Lauren in the theater, uh-huh. um, and I, we, we both had seen it. We were seeing it for the first time, and we were just like uh, gobsmacked at the end. Amazing. I got it. Do you want to live deliciously, Ben? What's that? Do I you do want to yeah. live. Okay. Yeah. I think we all do. I, it's interesting, too, because there's an argument about extremism and radicalization in the oh. witch. Oh, wait, wait, you know what? We're doing our we're bar doing conversation. Oh, we're already doing okay, it. No, no, we'll underwear. save that for the underwear, bar after, after recording. Uh, we are going to try to take Max out. That is a true story. So there were there is another thing that occurs in this space that we have to talk about, and that is also the evolution of, you know, I love how you pointed out how dangerously gendered a lot of this was yes but there were other things evolving as well because even though we're saying people identifying as as female weren't wearing what we would recognize as modern underwear today uh, they were wearing things like petticoats or corsets and then this kind of leads us to uh eventually we'll we'll get to it in a little bit but it leads us to lingerie Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Mint Mobile. You know, Ben, I got to say, one of the best parts about spring cleaning is that post-clean clarity you get where you're like, man, how have I been living like this? What's wrong with me? <laughs> you're right, Noel. It's, it's kind of like when you find out you've been paying a fortune for wireless when Mint Mobile has phone plans for 15 bucks a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile and get unlimited talk, text, and data for 15 bucks a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. That's mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. 
See Mint Mobile for details. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Noel, do you remember your favorite car? Well, yeah, um, it was a uh, an Eddie Bauer edition Ford Explorer. Oh, that's and cool. I, yeah, I, I just remember it was my dad's. I, I was a hand me down car kind of kid. Dad would buy a new car, I'd get that car, and I just remember feeling so awesome being up above everybody, like I was mm. in Mad Max or something. You know, I had a lot of uh, land yachts that I loved. I had Pontiac yeah. Bonneville. Right. Oh, I never had an El Camino. My dad had one. And that was a, that was a real interesting use of our collective time, keeping that thing running. But I think these cars all kind of speak to us because they were such a fundamental part of our lives. Do you remember when I had that Monte Carlo? That's what I meant. I, meant, I said El Camino <laughs> and I met Monte Carlo. I miss it. So uh, the Monte Carlo was tough. I had a series of Monte Carlos and the last one, God bless it. I just, I, I had to learn a lot about car maintenance just to keep that guy running. Totally. It, it still was like a, a perfect fit. It's almost like finding your true love. Uh, you know, like when you recently got a car a few years back now, Oh, man. And funny you should say that. That particular perfect fit was the Honda Fit, which I love dearly. But, Ben, it's getting a little long in the tooth. And while it's been incredibly reliable up to now, it's getting to that age where I might have to start looking for some parts here and there to keep it running. Mm -hmm. And that's where eBay Motors comes in. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. So keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. It does eventually, but the version that we're talking about was much more of a um, imposed kind of dress or yeah. a um, imposed idealization or like the way women should appear. And these petticoats, corsets especially, they were reinforced by things like whalebone or reeds or willow rods to stiffen them. And they wanted to create this almost conical shape. Like we talk about the Barbie doll frame yeah. without the the bust. That's sort of what it was. Like the bottom of the hourglass. Exactly, because the the bust was flattened. And if you see these corsets, I mean, th there is no plunging neckline at this point. It was very modest and very unpleasant to wear. I can only imagine. Um, yeah, it's tough. I mean, it's in it's it was around for a while and it, it was high fashion, right? It was introduced by Catherine de Medici into France in the 1500s. It was originally from Italy, but I think it really took off in the European imagination when uh, Queen Elizabeth right? Queen Elizabeth I started popularizing this idea of the big, big petticoat and the mm -hmm. high and tight corset. Exactly. The petticoat, and they were supported with these hoops that were kind of concentric circles made of, again, that stiffening material. Uh, I think even there were versions of it later when steel became more accessible. This is down the line, but then they, I think they became replaced with steel, and they were essentially cages that were covered in uh, in fabric. And the more opulent you were, the larger your skirt would be. Yeah, yeah, you know, the bigger you were, uh, the bigger your, well, we, would say, we wouldn't say butt at this point, the bigger like your bell yeah, was. Exactly, right? exactly. And, the bigger a deal you were. Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. So when we're talking about a shift, we're, if you're trying to picture it in your head, you're essentially picturing something that looks like a nightgown, mm -hmm. 
And I don't know, do I don't think a lot of people wear nightgowns nowadays. Certainly not the Ebenezer Scrooge style. With the you little know, hat with, with the, the little tassel, cap. Yeah. That's the nightcap that people speak of so fondly. And yeah. I don't understand how late night drink became a nightcap. I get I mean it's you know, it's the thing you don before bed. I guess there that's it why it makes yeah, sense. That's a little poetic. But you're right, Ben, and the shift or chemise really was kind of a nightgown. Men would even wear them, shortened versions, they would tuck them under their uh, genitalia. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Give a little extra security there. Yeah, they always tucked in. The tucking in was huge <laughs> back then. Um, but th- this was something that, like, the upper class, for example, would have shifts made of fine linens and silks and things like, maybe not silks yet. I don't know. I forget when the trade led to the availability right, of silk. That yeah. wouldn't have been, yeah, I'm not quite sure about the But people got there. into silk underwear. That's true. A million percent. But then the lower class or peasants would have had shifts made of, like, wool, you know, or more rough itchy kind of material. But one thing that both classes had in common were that these garments were worn repeatedly and they could be washed. And one very popular method for washing these was using stale urine. Yeah. Why? Uh, it apparently made things brighter. Okay. That was one of the You think it would make it yellower? Yeah. Well, you know, it depends on the source of the urine, honestly. And, and also at this time, we should mention uh, the people in both the world of medicine and popular culture, had a little bit of a different idea of urine than we do today. It's true. Right? A lot of medicine was, here, pee into this vial or this, uh, (laughs) pee into this container, and I will hold it up to the candlelight of the sun to determine whether you are melancholic. Indeed. (laughs) To to, to gauge the levels of your humors. Exactly. And so uh, they did, though, a side note, because, again, these are these are people just like us listening or doing the show today. They weren't dumb. They were working with what they had, and they didn't want to smell like pee. So they would hang these. Uh, they would hang these undergarments outside and try to air dry them long enough. Yeah. that they didn't smell like pee. Which probably also means they wore them for quite a long time before they would wash them. Because especially if you were a peasant, you wouldn't have that many of these. No, no. And it wasn't until the Middle Ages that it even became a thing and it was somewhat of a luxury for a while because before that, you if you were the average person in this area, you would have either slept naked or you would just sleep in the clothes you had already been wearing. It's not like you had 50 pairs of trousers. You had, you know, you had the good pair and then you had the other pair, maybe. And so you would just leave those on. Nightgowns, because they were made of these thin fabrics originally, you had to be pretty well off to wear them. And then, you know, as we see this, catch on with the quote-unquote lower classes. That's where we see the the rough wool you're talking about. Yeah. And uh, then, I don't know, let's go back to chausses. Because we mentioned those, and Europe goes into the Renaissance period, and that's when things start getting a little racier. These were the ruffly capri pants initially, Uh uh or like, you know, the kind of loose fitting. They became, I believe, silk hose, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, I think it was, gosh, who was it? Queen... Elizabeth I as well made a big stand on wearing uh, this silken hose and really popularized it. So while these uh, while these tight hose approaches are becoming more in vogue, braids also start to get shorter. And then there's this wonderful innovation that I think we should all appreciate more. The predecessor of the fly. That's right. If you are wearing uh, if if you're wearing pants you'll often find that there is an opening, especially dudes' pants. You'll find that there's an opening, often with a zipper, sometimes with a button, uh, that allows you 
to uh, use the restroom without entirely dropping trowel. This flap could be buttoned up because zippers didn't exist yet, or you could tie it closed with like drawstrings. And this was the first ever thing that we called a cod piece. It is not named after fish. A fun, only slightly NSFW fact, cod was a Middle English term for, it was scrotum, right? Yep. It's scrotum. Mm -hmm. This is my scrotum piece. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and it's, oh my God. Oh, by, by the way, uh, I said, a, not a dumb thing, I just wasn't sure, and I, I said as much. Uh, silk was around by the time of the Second Crusade, um, mm -hmm. so they would have had silk, but again, it would have been very rare and coming from afar. It'd you be know? for like the king. Absolutely. Right. But then it became a little more available around the time that we're talking about these uh, these hose, these leggings kind of coming into fashion, but you're right, Ben. The cod piece. Uh, uh, you want to talk about syphilis? Was it time? Uh, you know, it's it's always time to have frank discussions with our friends about important issues. And syphilis is one. This is okay. it was rampant. Yes, it was it was, as our friend Frank would say, wide rife. Wide rife indeed. Uh, and, and it was even because um, you, you couldn't you couldn't get rid of it. Right. right? Uh, so it was even rampant among the upper class. And King Henry VIII, for example, wore a codpiece. Uh, and part of the point of the codpiece was the point, literally, to uh, yeah. embiggen. Right. Embiggen your uh, your area. Like a push-up bra. 100%. Only absurd. Uh, I, always, I always think of a clockwork orange. You know, mm -hmm. they obviously wore it for effect, and it's sort of like a weird retro kind of European callback, I guess, but it's very odd. But yeah, Henry VIII um, wore quite a large one. And apparently it was so large because he needed extra room in there to stuff it with ointment-soaked rags. Like poultices, Uh-huh, so that it would uh, reduce the, the pain and swelling he was experiencing was associated with syphilis. Yeah, and there, there were other people, because the codpiece wasn't covered by outer layers, right? So there are other people who are stuffing it, whether that's because they've contracted syphilis or whether that's because they want to make more of a visual impression. Yep. It probably goes case by case, but that was happening. And uh, there's some paintings you can look at it from this era. It's that, that They're like shaped like a, like a, like a. Like a, a dog. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, like outwardly. Yes. It's, it's like an outward yeah, that thing. Um, it's weird. <laughs> Thank God that that fell out of fashion. So strange. I mean, you know, we certainly have instances of like rock stars stuffing their pants with socks and, and like, you know, uh, I think there was in Spinal Tap where I believe David St. Hubbins is going through security and it keeps. Uh, no, I know it is. It's, it's Derek Smalls, the bassist. He's going through security and he keeps setting off the um, the metal detector and he pulls out a cucumber wrapped in tinfoil uh, out of his pants and shamefully turns it over to uh, the airport security. And other other dudes in other parts of the world had the similar idea. Like, there's a thing called the Koteka, mm. which is, yeah, it's, uh, there are communities in New Guinea that wear these. And because we're in person, oh, I can wow. show you this. Yeah, it you looks like, it's like a it? gourd, I would say. It's definitely made of a gourd. Yeah. And it's, uh, something that with a, with a waistband that you would attach to your, your, your waist. Yeah. And, you know, it's a giant, thick picture a giant gourd that's painted, you know, ornately that you're wearing on the outside of your clothes in your, uh, area. Yeah, yeah, it is made from a dried out gourd, but we're we're seeing the cod piece idea is a uh, is a revelation mm -hmm. that multiple men have thought of. Parallel thinking, man. <laughs> right. Parallel thinking. How do I get people to notice my junk more? <laughs> notice me. Notice my junk. Yeah. <laughs> so this thank goodness that this didn't you know carry on right, but you know, we do have to talk about something else. 
especially in the, not in the, all of the world, but especially in the late Middle Ages and in London, things were filthy. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was gross. There's a whole episode of, of, of Ridiculous History on the Great Stink of London, Real you thing. might recall. Uh, and that Great Stink in question was the Thames uh, and just the streets because they didn't have indoor plumbing. It was just like, you know, privies, these like mm-hmm. open pots, and they would just get dumped out into the street, you know, like a spittoon. But it was, instead of, you know, being full of gross like tobacco spit, it's full of like poop and urine. And it's just literally the streets are flowing with excrement. And the Thames is absolutely just, you know, festering with uh, ru- toxic runoff from leather. Man, because, you know, all the chemicals used to cure leather um, mm-hmm. and animal waste and animal carcasses and parts. Yeah and guts coming out of butcher shops. I mean, it was bad and it smelled. And to make it worse, people didn't wash. It wasn't as easy to wash, you know, like unless you live next to a clean water source or unless you are, I, I don't know, it just wasn't normalized. But at the same time, people like when we, when we say the streets were filthy, there, you know, as, as Noel said, there's no sewage. There's The sewer is the middle of the street. Right. And the buildings are also often built such that the second floor protrudes over the first floor. So it also restricts airflow. And this leads to uh, the, the reason this is such a perfect storm is because at the time people believed that you could, the current medical theory was that you could get disease through something called miasma Mm -hmm. that smelling something meant it was going into you not to mention you know accurately i would argue uh, they believed you could get these diseases uh, through your skin and also through bodily orifices openings you know natural openings in the body Um, depending on what disease we're talking about what kind of contact that can be true and can be not true right right Um, but they washed infrequently and so the closest thing they had infrequently means frequently does (laughs) They didn't watch that much. And uh, they got around this, or at least the closest thing they had to personal hygiene was washing their garments, their undergarments as much as possible. Um, But even that, again, because of the availability of clean water, that's why they were using urine, by the way, partially. Mm, Um, It was was hard to do that as well, especially for the underclass. I always think of the scene in Monty Python, The Holy Grail, where somebody says something to the effect of, oh, he must be a king because he's not covered in shit. Huh. Yeah, right. That's that's a pretty good line. And look, we're we're not saying people were um purposefully, you know, incredibly dirty or filthy. We're saying it was harder to stay clean. Correct. And now we enter in a time where this is weird. Things become a little bit more modest. Uh people are putting away their pretend phalluses and Men in Europe are starting to wear these long cotton linen or, if you're fancy, silk draws. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say draws for the rest of the episode. And in the most common, the thing that was sort of like the Honda Civic of underwear at this time was a knee-length garment with a button flap at the front. This was the ancestor of something that was called, I don't know why I love this name, the union suit or a union suit. That's uh, the thing you picture like an old prospector wearing with the butt flap. Right. And for some reason it's red usually. And yeah. You got two, why? Yeah. And maybe they washed it in the clown pants. Uh, pink uh, lemonade. Yeah, pink lemonade. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And uh, this later evolved into what we recognize as long johns. Have you guys ever had a pair of long johns or do you, you ever wear thermal underwear? I think that's right. They call them thermal underwear now. No, I, I haven't really lived in cold enough area to really warrant it, but I know they can be comfy. Max? 
Yes, yes. So uh, Alex and I are actually from Detroit originally. So yeah. yeah, from birth, we had long johns and then we moved down here and we're like, why do we still have these? It is like 900 degrees every day. More realistically, like 95 degrees and horribly humid. It but gets yes. cold here, though, in the yeah. winter. And, and I, you know, certainly if, let's say, you don't have central heat, for example, sure. long johns or thermal underwear would certainly be a, you know, pretty affordable fix. I wear them every winter. I okay. don't tell you guys because it's a weird thing to say in conversation. Uh, how is it, how would it come up? You know, it's yeah, hard. How, how you just bring it up out of nowhere? Well, uh, you know, if we're hanging out, we're sitting out of the patio of our favorite wing spot or something, and someone's, it has come up once, maybe none of you guys, but someone's like, oh, it's cold. We should go in. And it's like, I'm fine. And I picked the weirdest, dumbest flex I did that winter. I was like, because I always wear thermal underwear when it's cold. Ooh. <laughs> it's like, would you like to see? And I pulled up my shirt while everyone was saying no. <laughs> can, can I say, Ben, you made a really good point um, that uh, – things took a turn toward the more modest. Yes. I think that's largely for men. For women, that's yes. when you did start to see the push-up of the of the uh, the plunging neckline and also more kind of ancient Greek and, and art-inspired drapings. And, like, you know, if you look at the way art evolved, I believe it was neoclassicism where it showed a lot more of these uh, garments with, you know, where you could literally see nipples, you know? It was, it was very sheer uh, and things like that. So that was something that we would start to see. But with men... They did start to cover up more. Also, the shifts we talked about, that became a weird flex in and of itself. Like in the Victorian age, you think of those like crazy, like Dilophosaurus from Jurassic Park, like <laughs> neck yeah. fringes or whatever. The roughs, yeah, yeah. The roughs, they call them. That was just the part of the shift that you could see. Yes, yes. Because, uh, it was, and then, you know, they would get more and more elaborate because these Richies just wanted to, like, one-up each other and flex harder with these bizarro, you know, like, halo-looking things. Exactly. And at the same time that these different things are occurring and that we're seeing a little bit of divergence, uh, we're also seeing the end of an era because up to about the 19th century— in Europe and North America, underwear was thought to have two main functions for the average person. First, it wasn't really meant to protect you as much as it was meant to protect your outer clothes from you because people didn't mm -hmm. bathe and they didn't want to get their nice outside clothes dirty. So sure. they put on their, their, you know, like this airlock for filth. And because, <laughs> yeah. And, and, and then, you know, bathing was very much a luxury. And so in these colder climes, especially like, you know, modern day Detroit, this added an important extra layer of insulation. Noel, is it time to shout out before we go to the next phase? Is it time? We, we should probably mention Fruit of the Loom. Uh, started around this time, right? 19th century? Yeah, it was around midway through the 19th century. In 1851, the Fruit of the Loom Company was founded, but they didn't uh, trademark their brand, their ubiquitous brand. And that I always think of that, uh, the image associated with it. I love when the, the basket of fruit dressed up like the fruit. I always wanted one of those costumes. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I like mascots. I like stuff with mascots. 100%. And I also think it's interesting, too, not to get too far ahead. This is way far ahead. But we talk about underwear as being like something you hide. But I always thought it was awesome when you were, we were kids, you know? You get those Fruit of the Looms that have, like, cartoon characters and stuff printed on oh, them. I like, who is that for? I guess it's just for us. You know, you're not, they don't really <laughs> expect you to be parading around in your, in your skivvies. But at the same time, it's certainly a good selling point for, for us kids. Um, but you're right. In 1856, they did trademark that, uh, that brand. And now, zoom, zip, zow, uh, in the magic of podcasting and time travel through history, we are in the industrial era. Yes, the industrial era. 
the Industrial Revolution, and your Tuckus. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Noel, do you remember your favorite car? Well, yeah, um, it was a uh, an Eddie Bauer edition Ford Explorer. Oh, that's and cool. I, yeah, I, I just remember it was my dad's. I, I was a hand me down car kind of kid. Dad would buy a new car. I'd get that car. And I just remember feeling so awesome being up above everybody like I was mm. in Mad Max or something. You know, I had a lot of uh, land yachts that I loved. I had Pontiac yeah. Bonnevilles. Right. Oh, I never had an El Camino. My dad had one. And that was a, that was a real interesting use of our collective time, keeping that thing running. But I think these cars all kind of speak to us because they were such a fundamental part of our lives. Do you remember when I had that Monte Carlo? That's what I meant. I, meant, I said El Camino <laughs> and I met Monte Carlo. I miss it. So uh, the Monte Carlo was tough. I had a series of Monte Carlos and the last one, God bless it. I just, I, I had to learn a lot about car maintenance just to keep that guy running. Totally. But it, it still was like a, a perfect fit. It's almost like finding your true love. Uh, you know, like when you recently got a car a few years back now, Oh, man. And funny you should say that. That particular perfect fit was the Honda Fit, which I love dearly. But, Ben, it's getting a little long in the tooth. And while it's been incredibly reliable up to now, it's getting to that age where I might have to start looking for some parts here and there to keep it running. Mm -hmm. And that's where eBay Motors comes in. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. So keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hey, Noel, have you ever wanted to wake up to something better? Oh, boy, have I ever been. Well, uh, this is where Avalon Waterways comes in. How does waking up to a medieval castle, an ancient cathedral, a rolling vineyard, or a charming cobblestone village sound to you? Well, here on Ridiculous History, that's right up our street, Ben, our charming cobblestone street. So I can say it sounds pretty good to me. You're absolutely right, Noel. Avalon Waterways has redefined cruising in so many different ways. They've got the uh, widest opening windows. They've got beds that face the passing scenery. So wherever you go, you have a front row seat to the views of the world. And not only do you wake up in the best staterooms in the entirety of the business, but you're waking up in a new port every day, right in the heart of these amazing historic cities. Ah, Ben, sign me up. Open your eyes to a better view and a different kind of cruising. One with smaller ships, bigger experiences, fewer people, and more of everything. Limited time special offers await at avalonwaterways.com. Odds are the undergarments that you're rocking today as you listen to this, if you are indeed wearing undergarments, came to you courtesy of the Industrial Revolution. 
after after this period, right, we see this massive expansion of commercial and manufacturing scale. And uh, we see the ability to make, instead of laboriously doing things in a very slow manner, now we can make hundreds, thousands, mm-hmm. millions of undergarments and cotton especially helped democratize these fabrics. So the in- And that's because of the cotton gin that allowed you to process that cotton uh, much more uh, efficiently. And yes. then you had things like the spinning jenny, which was mm-hmm. like, you know, a, a, a basically an industrial loom, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, exactly. The, because they had these technological breakthroughs, it became less expensive to create quality clothing, right? And then, I, I don't know if you were expecting this to show up in the show, folks, but then the invention of the bicycle inspires a revolution in underwear, which is the jock strap. Mm-hmm. It's called a jock strap because they called people who were on bicycles jockeys. Yeah, were they like, I mean, they had to have been doing this for, you know, business purposes, right? Were they like delivering things on bicycles or was it just like people riding as a mode of transportation so there was enough demand for it that they were getting their junk rattled, you know? <laughs> I mean, I, I have a bike and I don't have a jock strap, don't require one, but I have a memory, you know, gel kind of mm-hmm. seat topper yeah. you know, to protect my uh, little Aussie. Yeah, they didn't They didn't have that. So I, you're, you're right. It must have been a problem and they... You know, the jockstrap is still around today because it works. And this is interesting because with the industrial era also comes the rise of capitalism. And one aspect of capitalism is to generate as many markets as possible, right? Mm -hmm. Why sell one kind of thing when you could sell the same thing four ways to four different groups? And that's why I would argue that's why we see this uh, specialization in underwear, at least as a selling point. Right? Absolutely. The differentiation between underwear for men and underwear for women, um, which again created these two markets. So what do you do when you specialize? You start to get real specific and you start to sell people the idea of beauty or the idea of fashion, right? Um, so that's when you start seeing things like lingerie. And that represented a really, really great article, by the way, on love to know fashion history dot love to know dot com uh, about the history of lingerie by Carolyn Cox. And she points out very astutely that the popularizing of lingerie kind of happened hand in hand with women becoming freed from some of those constraints that we talked about in terms of morality, notions of sexuality. They should, you know, kind of be more um, restrained, right? And this kind of became part of what led to, like, the sexual liberation and the idea of femininity and identity and sexual identity, or in parallel with the kind of emerging of sexual identity uh, among women and femininity and the idea of, you know, kind of tossing off some of those Victoria morals that were sort of kind of foisted upon them. But it was the early 1900s, and there was still kind of, uh, we weren't fully into the sexual revolution yet, but this was definitely laying the groundwork, and lingerie was considered something that was only for married couples. Uh, If you wore it and you were not a married woman, then that would be considered low or promiscuous or in some way uh, lacking in, in virtue and decorum. There's a really great quote from a uh, fashion journalist from 1902 um, that, again, is, uh, is cited in this uh, fashionhistory.lovetoknow.com article, and it goes like this. 
Lovely lingerie does not belong only to the fast. Dainty undergarments are not necessarily a sign of depravity. The most virtuous of us are now allowed to possess pretty undergarments without being looked upon as suspicious characters. Here, here. Caveats, but sure. heading in the right direction. Yeah, agreed. And, you know, this is like this idea of to the morality jail with you based on your dress is uh, it's. It's dumb. It's an attempt to control people. And unfortunately, it's not the only example of its kind. We know it occurs in other other countries, other cultures throughout history. People have been attempting to control each other through their dress. But this is why we have to examine all of these things at once. If we go, if we check in to see what's going on with pants and uh, uh, pants in the U.S. sense with trousers, then we see that, uh, oh, one of my favorite fun facts, Long John's named after a real guy. His name is John L. Sullivan. He was a boxer in the 1800s, and he one of his flexes was he would show up in the ring in his long johns to box people. And then uh, we also know the origin of the word pants. Using pants like this might be uh, hilarious for some of our British listeners, but it comes from an Italian comedy called Pantalone. The character in this play wears these garments that come down to his ankles at a time when most folks were rocking stuff that came down to their knees. And then in the 18th century in England, these were called pantaloons. Uh, By the 19th century, we started shortening that word to pants. And then in Britain, at least, according to localhistories.org, pants came to mean just any kind of long draws, I'm still going to stick with draws, that covered your the entirety of your leg. And the things that you wore over those long draws, those long johns, would become known as trousers. So there it is. Also, if you go back to magic of time travel, if you go to the 1920s, you'll see pants as a pants design, pants aesthetics. Again, got an idea from boxing of all places. A guy named Jacob Golom developed a featherweight version of fighting shorts. And then in the 1930s, it's primary villain appeared. Max, can we get some dramatic music? That's right. Oh, is that the... Okay. All right. You know what? Yeah, I'm budget conscious. I got you. (laughs) Uh, So, yes, the briefs. This is a question that you hear if you're... um, You've probably heard this pretty often. If you're male-identified, people will ask you, boxers or briefs, they'll still ask you that today. It's almost cliche, right? Yeah. It's sort of like a uh, a sort of flirtatious thing someone might ask you, perhaps, maybe, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. A little bit forward, a little cheeky. Like, you know, depending on how well you know your close male friends, I, I'm sure at some point everybody's had that talk. It's kind of like a high school, middle school talk, where you're like, oh, yeah, you wear tidy whities boxer guy and there's an interesting thing that happened with the public image of tidy whities but first Noel, i think we need to talk a little bit about how this boxers versus briefs rivalry came to be uh this was 1935 okay cast your memory back there jockey briefs go on sale in chicago they're designed by a guy named arthur niebler who calls himself an apparel engineer these first under it's so hard because we're we're in the same room together. So I keep wanting to like stand up and demonstrate stuff, but don't whoa, worry. Well, we're a family show. So this these were the first underpants that didn't have any legs, unlike a lot of those other other designs. And they had their flap was this Y shaped opening. And this was so 
revolutionary for the little Australia business that it's been compared with the invention of the bra. I can see that. Uh, Ben, have you seen the show Trailer Park Boys? Yes. Uh, Randy is one of my favorite characters, the guy who's never wearing a shirt. Uh, Whenever he wants to fight, he always takes his pants off uh, because it gives him more freedom of movement to kind of like gyrate around. And that's what briefs did, right? They gave you more freedom of movement because you're not restricted because they just come right up to the joints of your legs as opposed to like coming down further. I personally, I'm going to put it out there, boxer brief guy boxer brief guy i like the tight fit but i also like a little on the leg i see yeah 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 uh you know i i guess if we're putting all our all our draws on the table i i tend to go boxer briefs myself Mm -hmm. this this one though the the jockey briefs uh, that are sometimes called tidy whities they sold like hot cakes like hot cakes for your butt the thirty thousand were sold and then they, in just a couple of months. In just a couple of months. Yeah, exactly. In three months. And then they <laughs> they started leveraging marketing in a brilliant way. They had a plane that would make special deliveries of what they called masculine support briefs to businesses across the state. And they called the plane the masculine line. Okay. You have to have the pause. You do. Yeah. <laughs> what is that print like, Ben? Is, is, is it like separated by a, a, a hyphen or something? What's the branding here? I think they do have a hyphen. Okay. They do have a little okay. dash because they're, they're really proud of that name. I, I, I get it. Um, and they promised to deliver masculine support. Yes. Uh, again, part of why it was such a revolutionary development because it, you know, gave you support, male support. And that's why you connected it with the Bra, I believe. Yeah, yeah. And so the battle for supremacy over what dudes would wear down south continued for the rest of the 20th century. And then it started to get weird because people were making these health claims. Mm -hmm. And these are health claims that I am sure you, Max, and I all heard growing up where people say, hey, well, if you, and we're endeavoring to be honest here, folks. Talking about the angle of the dangle? The angle of the dangle is a big, big Mm -hmm. one, you know, and the idea, what, explain that one. Oh, well, just like, you know, some folks are are hardcore evangelists for boxers because they think you need more hangy to uh, promote, you know, I guess, uh, procreation. Like maybe if your stuff is too tightly packed, then it can overheat. I don't know exactly. Is that the hygiene? Maybe you can get infections. Yeah, maybe if it's like too tightly packed and you're you're getting hot, it's getting sweaty down there, it can cause some some hygiene issues as well. But then uh, the fans of the brief would argue other stuff and they would say, well, here, okay, this is one I heard. I don't know if it was common, but I heard, uh, and I'm sure this is, is not scientifically sound. I had some folks tell me in middle school that if you wore boxers over time, what would happen is that your cod pieces would continue to drop. Descend. Yeah. You know, just like how uh, sometimes when pe- how when people are elderly, sometimes their ears keep growing, mm-hmm. you know. And wobbling so, to and froing. Yes, exactly. And I do have a parody version of that. I know uh, the one. Oh, you've heard the one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Do your bees hang low? Do mm-hmm. they wobble to and fro? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's something that happens, I think, as you get older, too. Th- that happens there. I sure, think, that's gravity. Bit. It's just gravity. You can't mess with gravity. No amount of technological garment innovation can mess with gravity. Exactly. And so because of these health claims, uh, regardless of their veracity, a lot of people felt like they had their well-being at stake. And this is where we get to 
this is where we, I think we switch back for a second and let's talk about World War One mm-hmm. because it played a role in undergarments. Super interesting. Let's not forget like corsets, you know, you picture corsets and you picture petticoats and that covered a pretty large swath of history, right? Like, you know, the Old West, for example, uh, the frontier, even they were, even though they were stepping through streets that were like covered in mud and, and, and you know, horse uh, manure, they were still wearing these bizarre bell-shaped, you know, um, petticoats that were at this point surrounded by steel, right? We initially, in the early days of them, they were made with reeds or uh, willow rods that could be bent because they were they were flexible. But because of the war effort, women were discouraged. It actually caused a sea change in fashion because all of that steel was needed for the war effort. So women were discouraged by the government from buying these corsets, which essentially caused a sea change in manufacturing and style. And it also saved the government 28,000 tons of metal. Amazing, right? And no, that's no small effort. And that's where the new brassiere comes into play. And then we see a cavalcade of other innovations. Garter belts, girdles to replace corsets. Irma girdles. <laughs> uh, I got to say real quick, this is from some of the, these facts here are from a great article on Family Tree magazine called The Revealing History of Underwear by David A. Frixel, which is a great last name. Yes. Shout out to you, Mr. Frixel. Also, then also we see nylon stockings. We see 64 million pairs of those sold uh, such that kind of like the PS5 of 2021, uh, manufacturers couldn't keep up with demand. And at some point, some people uh, were actually painting on stockings, which is, I think, interesting. It is interesting. And remember, you know, originally stockings were made of silk, which was a a very, you know, rare and expensive uh, material. Nylon really democratized the wearing of stockings. And I have very distinct memories of being a kid and uh, the stockings that came in like the egg you know, you'd buy them. It almost yeah, looked yeah, like yeah, an Easter yeah, egg. Yeah, yeah. I can't remember the the name of the brand, but it, it really became a fashion thing, especially kind of in the 80s, maybe, is when I picture it, like shoulder pads and nylon stockings. But obviously it was big before that. But here's something that I didn't realize. Oh, wait, 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 before we go, oh, I, go, just, go, go, go. I, I realized that's why they were called legs. Like L, like eggs. With two Gs. Yeah. Boom. That's why they were sold that way. You nailed it. Very clever. That's insane. Very clever branding. Um, but here's something I didn't know. The thong. Let's talk about the thong. It, it gets its own song. Let me see that. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'll tell you who, uh, who didn't want to see that thong. Um, well, actually, he did. No, let me, let me rephrase that. The mayor of New York in the 1930s, the guy who the airport thinned after, uh, mm. Mayor Fiorello LaGuardia, this is, there's a huge, like, red light district. I mean, you know, sex work was not legal, but there were lots of burlesque type joints and strip clubs, right? Times Square used to be lousy with them up until I think the, like the 90s, you know, when they kind of, I think it was uh, Giuliani who cleaned up, uh, quote unquote, cleaned up Times Square, Hmm. uh, turned it into basically like Disneyland for tourists. It's a little weird. I would have, I vaguely remember growing up going to New York in the 90s and and the the trashier, dirtier version. But LaGuardia ordered by like statute, I guess, strippers, to replace their G-strings, which is, you know, it's like a thong, but it's literally a string. It's mm-hmm. basically how they could get around with him, them not being fully nude. It doesn't look comfortable. No, it doesn't look comfortable. I've never the, worn one, but it doesn't look comfortable. I haven't either, but the thong is just, it's honestly full circle, kind of back to the loincloth. It kind of is, It's yeah. like a mass-produced loincloth that's stretchy, and it, you know, shows enough of the butt, but it's not like, it doesn't disappear into the butt entirely, right? Yep, and 
Years later, the 4811 original Rise thong in 1986. What is this, like a jet? <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a jet for your butt. The 4811 Model 2 Mach 3 thong. Mm-hmm. Now with ICBMs. Yeah, it, it gets accepted. Uh, it gets widespread acceptance as underwear. Just like you said, it's a loincloth. There was something else interesting we found here. Before the 1950s, Pretty much everybody thought of T-shirts the way that we would think of underwear. Correct. Like you would, if you were a normal person, you would only be wearing a T-shirt if you were doing hard labor or playing sports. And the fact that like right now, let's see, um, Noel, you're wearing a T-shirt. Max, you're rocking a T. I've got one on, but I've got one on underwear style, I well, guess. But you're also wearing a polo on top of that, which is a style of T with just like a collar. There it is. Know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that would have been unusual. We would have looked out of place. Or way too informal. Or way, That's the thing, way too informal. Uh, except for the intervention of a guy named Marlon Brando in 1951. He started appearing in these canonical classic hits like Streetcar Named Desire, just wearing a tight T-shirt, showing off, you know, sh- showing off his, his bod a little bit. And then he did The Wild One where he also wore a T-shirt, James Dean, Rebel Without a Cause, also a T-shirt, and now a T-shirt becomes an everyday thing that people wear. And you got to think, I'm just kind of spitballing here, but it was probably designed, they didn't, I don't think they fully understood the pop culture phenomenon that it would create. I think initially it was probably like, this is an everyman. You know, the guy in Streetcar is meant to be kind of a working stiff, you know? So it's probably like, okay, this is what, like, you know, it was meant to show his He's class. not rich. He's not rich, exactly. Yeah. Same with Rebel Without a Cause, although I think he had rich parents. That's a really interesting movie. I need to w- watch that one again. Mm-hmm. It's a lot weirder than I thought. It opens with this weird little clown thing, like a little yeah. clown toy, and yeah. it's very interesting, odd movie. I, I, I assumed it was going to be all motorcycle racing and bravado, but it's actually a very nuanced and strange film. Highly recommend. It also has a really great sequence that takes place at my favorite place in Los Angeles, the Griffith Park Observatory. Ah, yes. And if whether you're at uh, Los Angeles, New York, or anywhere between in the 1960s, you notice something called the sexual revolution. This also revolutionized social attitudes toward unmentionables. And so it's important to note that a lot of things that would have formerly been considered scandalous are now increasingly being considered mainstream, right? And and now we see that underwear sometimes followed larger trends in outer clothing. Like when in the UK, uh, when I think it was maybe the 80s, 70s, the uh, there was a move toward tight jeans. And so people went back to briefs because they couldn't put their boxers in the tight jeans without looking really awkward and weird. And then I found this really interesting quote where a person named Elizabeth Eliasson of Bjorn Borg. And to be clear, Bjorn Borg is a company named after the tennis player. Said that all the underwear trends started in the 1980s with the gay market. They wanted to have innovative products. And because of this, you would see like there was a sexualization. You see like Marky Mark and, uh, Designers like Calvin Klein are using pretty much nude models in their ads. And also people start associating boxers with kind of like success. This is this is the grown man's panties. No, it's it's, it's very true. And you know, I got to say too, Ben, you're talking about those tight jeans and having to wear briefs under them. Essentially, we've come full circle again. And that's sort of the modern codpiece. 
Yes, the modern cod piece. Uh, this is where we also see this this strange shift in aesthetic, or the strange shift in a shift. Uh, yes, there we go. The strange chemise in in this in cultural perspective, because for a time, boxers, you know, they're getting they're becoming associated with, as we said, uh, more well to do, up and coming, like yuppie types. They're the grown man's panties, and conversely. Briefs are seen as like the underwear of boys. Children. Yes, of children. Hence like the G.I. Joe prints and all of that stuff, Mm -hmm. right? It became seen like a sign of immaturity. Exactly. But then enters Marky Mark and Mm -hmm. and Calvin Klein. Yeah. Or or actually, you know what I always think of when I think of Calvin Klein, I think of Back to the Future. When she pulls his, you know, his mom in the in the past. You know, he's pat he's 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 unconscious because I guess he gets hit by her parents' car and then she takes his pants off and uh, she says that his name is printed in his underwear. (laughs) She calls him Calvin for the whole movie. Yeah. Um but this changes that exactly then, right around then because of Calvin Klein and um featuring, you know, the idea of an underwear model. That wasn't even a thing, you know, um, but it maybe it was. But this is really when it becomes front and center and on billboards and on TV commercials and like all over the place and sort of normalizes that sexuality, much to the chagrin of uh, certain evangelical sets, I would imagine. Right. Yeah. Now, underwear is not just functional. It's a statement about sex, fashion, money and your appeal. And so seeing celebrities wearing these garments would cause people to run out and get their own or maybe get some for their partners, right? Uh, and buy clothing for them. So this translates directly to sales. Mm-hmm. And, and that was starting in the 70s. Yeah, yeah. And going and, through to the 80s when that was probably at its peak with the with the Marky Mark stuff. Well, that was also like, I don't know, Marky Mark would probably have been like late 80s, like early 90s. Yeah, but I think That so. really never went away. No, no. And now we're reaching the conclusion of our tale for now, there is a future of underwear that we'll we'll cover, uh, I guess, much, much later. But as you know, one of our favorite arbitrary rules here on Ridiculous History is that we consider history stuff that happened before about the mid-90s. Max, did we tell you that? I I don't think you guys did tell me that. Oh, yeah, that's the cutoff. Our cutoff is apartheid. Our cutoff is literally, yes. And that's that's why we're stopping at this era, uh, the hybrid boxer brief. There's so many more. Noel, you and I did a roundup of some just interesting underwear facts that we found. Dude, this first one almost makes me think George Lucas was a little bit of a perv. So the story is unconfirmed that Carrie Fisher didn't wear underwear while filming Star Wars because George Lucas told her, there is no underwear in outer space. Okay, George. Whatever, man. Come on, George. I mean, it's the future, man. There's future underwear. I, I would like to point out that at no point in Star Wars do they say it's the future. Well, actually, it's oh, supposed to have happened okay. a long, long time ago. Ha-ha! <laughs> in a galaxy far, far away. It's true. Um, you know, it, sticking with maybe a military-type theme, um, the expression of going commando apparently mm-hmm. first started being used in the 70s as, like, university slang, like in frat-type circles. One of the first uh, mentions apparently occurred at the University of North Carolina back in 1974, um, but it refers to, of course, the uh, idea of a commando, a military man being ready to go at a moment's notice and not needing to put on drawers. Ah, okay. That's illuminating. Okay. It's also illegal in Thailand to leave your house without underwear. Uh, and also, uh, I found Don't they also execute you for smoking pot in Thailand. Uh, it does have harsh drug laws. 
if you're traveling to a place that ha- that says they have harsh drug laws, just believe them. Yeah. Just believe them. You know what I mean? Uh, you could party at home. But, but, uh, but also, uh, one thing I thought would be, would be fun for us to do if you were interested is I was looking for underwear slang mm-hmm. because whenever we talk about things that are like the, Ooh, naughty stuff, uh, we always find all oh, this beautiful language about it. Like Benjamin Franklin's, uh, long list, his reference work. That's just phrases for getting drunk or all the various names people have for genitals. We found some cool underwear slang. One of them is pretties, which I think is so creepy. Yeah, that's super creepy. Um, we've Ooh, also got... Me see your pretties. Oh my goodness, get my pretty. <laughs> uh, that's not cool. Um, then, of course, you know, we've got some... Uh, there's different ones from, from different regions, like you said. We've got things like granny panties. We've got drawers, of course. We've got briefs, thongs, G-strings, pantaloons. Um, what else do we've got? Wiener basket. Oh, finally. Finally, that's high class. Banana hammock? Uh, yeah, I've heard that well, there's uh, tap pants, which okay. were for tap dancers. Cuddy Sark is one. That's also a, a scotch. A whiskey, yeah, right? whiskey, right. Uh, budgie smugglers. Mm-hmm. Uh, manhole covers. Manhole covers is clever. Of course, knickers is good, and that has its own interesting history. But my heart goes to the union suit. I love the union suit. I just suit. want to start referring to that. Like, I'm wearing my union suit. My union suit. It's covering your birthday suit. It covers your birthday suit. Well done. Got a couple more dumb ones just from Bellatory.com. We've got sausage skins, kecks, underoos, mantis, truncheon holder, grundies, trolleys, and skivvies. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to uh, make some up. Uh, Max, you can just rate these with sound cues. How about your, your hands free? Yeah. There, there you go, because otherwise you'd have to just hold them. Right, it's true. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, uh, fig leaf. There we go. There we go. Uh, let's see. Let's. Uh, your um, your crossroads. No, that's weird. That's a really good movie with Britney Spears in it. Okay, well, we'll take that. And I think that's and our show. It's a great uh, Bone Thugs and Harmony song. And oh, you yes. have a really great version uh, of it you. about Chick Fil A. I do, I do. I I, I love that uh, version. Maybe one day we'll all be able to play it together and not get sued by one of those giants. Mm-hmm. That's true. <laughs> Gosh, this was a fun one. Thank you yeah. to Fruit of the Loom. Uh, first and foremost, thank you. thank you. Please send me one of those fruit mascot costumes. Oh man, I wouldn't be the great. We'll wear it on uh, a a soon to be announced live event that we're gonna do. Oh wow! Yeah, Sur- they still if they still let this, us do it after this, this episode. Thanks to you, Ben. Thanks to you, Max Williams, uh, Super Producer Max Williams, Alex Williams, who composed our theme. Super Producer Casey Pegram, all the Super Producers of Days of Yore. Yes, and thanks to you, Noel. It's great to hang out in person. Thanks to Gabe Luzier, our research associate, Christopher Osiotis, Eve's Jeff Coat, uh, and thanks to Jonathan Strickland. And thanks to, yeah. And thanks, voices down. Keeping yeah, well, that's the second time we said the name, so we can power through this. Thanks to the Quister, for sure. And then, you know, thanks to all the people who have tirelessly worked to make underwear better, honestly. Because if you look at the history, this, this is a wild ride. It really is. See you next time, folks. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Avalon Waterways. Ben, are you in major need of a vacation right now? Noel, you're a mind reader. I am, and uh, aren't we all? 
certain we are. While cruising remains popular, there's something big happening in the industry, and that is, my friend, smaller ships. True story. The intimate ships of Avalon waterways can go where the big ships can only dream through winding passageways of rolling vineyards and castled hills into the heart of timeless cities and storybook villages. That sounds like a delight. See how Avalon's smaller ships promise greater discoveries, fewer people, and more of everything. Limited time. Special offers await at AvalonWaterways.com. Rev up your thrills this summer at Cedar Point on the all-new Top Thrill 2. Drive the sky on the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch vertical speedway. And now, for a limited time, get more Cedar Point fun for less with our limited-time bundle for just $49.99. Get admission, parking, and all-day drinks for one low price. But you better hurry, because this bundle won't last long. Save now at cedarpoint.com. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.